Good morning. It's good to see you. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm just grateful for the time. It's been a sweet time of fellowship already. And uh, I'm excited to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll get underway. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace extended to us, for the privilege you give us to know you through the Lord Jesus Christ, for the Holy Spirit who indwells us so that we can understand your ways. Heavenly Fathers, we consider your word this morning. I pray that our time would be rich. Lord, that we'd be reminded of your ways, your purposes for us, and Lord, that we would continue to faithfully pursue you with the desire to honor you in every moment of every day that you give us on this earth as we anticipate the day that we'll be in your presence for all eternity. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to talk about the Great Commission in the life of the church. All right. And for many of you, when we talk Great Commission, that's familiar territory, and I understand that. But I want to help us understand what it looks like when individuals in a church and then the church corporately grasp the meaning of the Great Commission. So we'll begin in Matthew chapter 28 and verses 18 to 20. It says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the questions that I would like to answer this morning, number one is, what does it look like in the individual lives of true Christians to fulfill the Great Commission? And then secondly, what does it look like in the church, the context of the church, to be fulfilling the Great Commission? Thankfully, our Lord is very kind to us and gives us very simple instructions, right? And so the concepts here are not complicated, but I would say as you look across our own nation, you would find it very difficult to locate churches that are really committed to this mission. Very few. There's sad days in many respects because of that. But there are those, praise the Lord. And obviously we want to be that church, and I know that you do as well. Well, it begins with pretty simple instruction and a reminder of the authority our Lord has over all things. He is the one who is supreme, and he's the one that we should listen to. So it begins by saying, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, what does that mean to the Christian? Well, Jesus is Lord. He is Master. He is the Creator. He is the Sovereign God. And so he's the one who is the, the supreme authority in our lives. I want to read you some verses just to remind us how profound this is. In Acts 20:28, 20, it says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. This is 
This is Paul speaking. Be on guard for yourselves among all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's speaking to the elders at Ephesus to shepherd the church of God, which it says he purchased with his own blood. I mean, we shared communion this morning. And if you're here today and you've come to understand your own sin separation from a holy God, the price that was paid, the perfect life of Jesus Christ to be your substitute, that means you've been bought. You've been paid for. Paid in full. Sins past, present, and future. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you're not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says it this way, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed... You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of what? God's own possession to the praise of His glory. In Titus 2, 13 and 14, it says, Looking for the blessed hope. Boy, you guys, I mean, as you look around, it's easier to anticipate and long for the blessed hope, right? And the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a what? People for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. In 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You know, when it speaks of Jesus having authority, you guys, the reality is if you're here today and you're in Christ, He has paid for your life. You are His. Your objectives in this life are all about God's objectives in this life. We live in a society where Christianity doesn't mean anything to most people, except I want to go to heaven. That's just another selfish pursuit, right? The reality, if you're a Christian, it's because you understand that there was a time you were an enemy of God. His enemy. You deserved His wrath. And in His kindness, He paid such a price that you could have hope, you could have life, I could have life. It's amazing. You know, when we talk about the Great Commission, we have to understand what it means to be a disciple. Because when Jesus gave the Great Commission, who is He speaking to? His disciples. So the Great Commission actually begins with people becoming disciples. And so what does it mean to be a disciple? Now, Jesus was really clear about what it means to be a disciple. Two words. Okay, so we have young people here. Okay. Two words. We have old people here. I can say that. Two words that define discipleship. 
Matthew 4, verses 18 to 20, it says, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Because we read those verses very casually, right? But how would you feel if I came up to you and said, you know, I know you don't obviously know me very well, and I wouldn't expect you to do what I say, okay? But if I told you, I I want you to follow me. Well, there'd be some questions on your mind, I would presume. Like, why? And where? You know? What exactly? I mean, do you, do you guys understand when he said, follow me, what it meant to these guys? In Mark 2, 13 and 14, Jesus went out again by the seashore. All the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth of all places. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. In John 1:43, the next day he purposed to go into Galilee. He found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. But for us, folks, in Luke 9.23, Jesus was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In Matthew 8, verses 18 to 22, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you. It's easy for us to say that. I'll follow you, Lord. But you guys, so often that is filled with conditions. Jesus says to this person, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to follow Jesus? It's not an easy road. It's not intended to be convenient. It's not intended to be comfortable. You want to follow Jesus? It can be a hard road. It can be a painful road. But our Lord has told us that. You know, it says, as it continues in that passage, another of the disciples came to him and said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. You know, you look at that and it's almost shocking. But you guys, the point being is that we make excuses so rapidly. Yes, I'll follow you, but... Yes, I'll follow you, but, you know, I have this, and these, and I, you know, and, and, and you guys, follow me. Two words. Your course now is no longer your course, it's Christ's course. It's the path He wants you to go down. In Matthew nineteen sixteen to 21, someone came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And He said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? 
There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus, because he knows our hearts. He says to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Huh, what's, what's that about? Well, it's the fact that, folks, when we follow Christ, we can have no other love that is equivalent to our love for the Lord. I mean, it's the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your might. In fact, Jesus, when he explained that, he made it clear. Hey, you, you need to love God so much that your love for your husband, your wife, your children, your friends, it looks like hate. He's not saying to hate them because the great second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself, right? But he is saying that if if you are a believer, then your love for God should far exceed your love for any other person. And the truth is, if you want to study the great commandment, if your love for God exceeds your love for any other person, including, by the way, yourself, then you will love all other people actually as you should. And you will trust God with all of those who you love. And see, for this man, money was his greater love. And, and so it's easy to look at this man and be critical, but the question we have to ask ourselves is, well, when we talk about follow me, when Jesus says that, is he my greatest love? Is he your greatest love? And you understand it's, it's easy to say we love because love doesn't mean a lot in our culture, you know, because you can say, I love God, and man, I love that skateboard. <laughs> you know, that's why when God tells us about loving him, he defines that. You need to actually love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you guys, if you love God supremely, if you love God as your first love, how obvious is it? It's obvious, right? I mean, we live in a day where people, I mean, it's an amazing, you know, yeah, I know Christ. I know, yeah, it's so hard to read my Bible. You know, I just don't have time. No, 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 no. <laughs> let's, just, let's just say it truthfully, okay? You love yourself more and God not so much. You love your job more. You love your hobbies more. You love your games. Whatever it is. When we look at our lives... It's not a complicated process to say, when Jesus says, follow me, then the idea is that we truly love him supremely, and our life reflects that. And it's reflected in our priorities. That's why when he says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself. He's not saying just deny yourself sin. He's, he's saying just deny yourself whatever it is that gets in the way of being all that God wants for you. And that means, frankly, that we even need to let go sometimes of things that are nothing, there's nothing inherently sinful in them. It, they're just in the way of being able to invest well in growing as a Christian and serving as a Christian. 
Remember Jesus, uh, Peter and Jesus, their interaction after the, the resurrection in John 21, 18 to 22. It says, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. How do you like this? For some, you know, Jesus is saying, by the way, this is how your life's going to be. This is how it's going to end. He says, now, this he said, signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. <laughs> hmm. You remember Saul when he was converted and became Paul? And, and the Lord told Ananias, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. That was his call to be a Christian. I will show him how much he will suffer for me. You know, when, when Jesus says this to Peter... You know, explaining that this is how your death is going to glorify God. Peter turns around and he sees the Apostle John. He says he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who, uh, who is the, he leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays him? That's what John said. So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, and Lord, what about this man? In other words, if I'm going to die like that to glorify you, what's going to happen to him? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Just follow me. You know, it's like, yeah, well, what about, well, how, did, how come I had to suffer this way? They don't, how come their life, it's like, Jesus saying, stop. Let me just work in your life. You follow me and I've got them taken care of. And the paths that we go down are going to be different paths, right? We're going to face different trials and different opportunities for ministry. That, that's God's way. That's God's provision for us. In John 8:12, Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10:27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. John, you notice that it just says, if you truly know Christ, you do follow him, right? That's, that's, the, that's what it means to be a Christian. John 12:26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You know, follow me, it implies several things, if you think about it, for two simple words. Follow me is a picture of repentance, isn't it? I mean, essentially, you're walking your own way. And when Jesus says, follow me, what do you do? You let go of your own way and you turn around to follow him. It's a picture of faith, isn't it? Because if I told you, hey, why don't you follow me? Let just Okay, just for the next three weeks, you follow me. I'm not thinking any of you is going to go with me on that plane today. It's like, where are you going? What are you doing? Where? I, no, no. But you guys, too many people do that to the Lord. So follow me is faith, right? Because you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is trustworthy. His ways are good and right. And you want to live in submission to Him. You want to be obedient to Him. You understand, if you think in your mind this way is good, and Jesus says this, that you are always wrong. And He is always right. I think that's the beauty of Christianity, right? You ever disagree with God? You are always... This is a test. You're always wrong. Because He's always right. 
and you can trust Him. Follow me is a picture of faith. It's a picture of lordship. Right? It's acknowledging His rightful authority over your life. So two words, follow me. If that's all you get today, that's a great place to begin. Because that's where the Great Commission begins. You have to have disciples to make disciples. And let me say furthermore, that if you're a disciple, you are making disciples. You have to be making disciples. Because how could you be a disciple, a follower of Christ, and not be making disciples more followers of Christ? Do you understand what I mean? So for a person to say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not involved in discipleship, doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, our Lord was really clear. In fact, in in 1 John 2.6, the Apostle John said, The one who says he abides in him, that is in Christ ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And so when Jesus is giving the instructions about the Great Commission, it begins with the fact that he's speaking to his disciples. He's already he's speaking to people who have come to understand what it means to have a personal relationship with the living God. He's speaking to men who have been baptized and have been identified with Christ. He's speaking to men who have heard the word and desire to learn all that God has commanded. And they want to walk in obedience to that word. That's where the Great Commission starts. And then for those who have become disciples, folks, what defines their life? Dear disciple of God, a disciple of Christ, you love God. And I'll be honest, to be fair, you don't love Him perfectly. I don't love Him perfectly. But our heart's desire is to grow in our love for God. And the more we love God, the more we love His Word. The more we love His Word. You guys, there's no way you can grow as this disciple and not be committed to the truth of His Word. And I've talked to so many people who they just can't seem to find time to spend time in the Word. It's like, well, how can you be obedient to the Lord? Just so busy. No, it's not that you're so busy. It's that you've allowed other things to take the place. And so if you're one that struggled with time in the Word, I would say sit down with your schedule. Rather than trying to figure out, okay, maybe if I get up at, at like 5 in the morning, I could spend a few fruitful minutes. <laughs> you know? You early morning people, some of you can do that. But you, rather than trying to cram it in somewhere, why not look at the schedule and say, you know what? What are things that I could just call? I could just get rid of so that I have plenty of time to spend with my Lord. So I have plenty of time to learn and to grow so that I can think biblically and spiritually throughout the course of my day. See, disciples love God. They love His Word. They love the church. They love to serve in the church. In John 8:31, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in Him, if you continue in my Word, then you are disciples of mine. That's, that's a part of what it means to be a Christian. In John 13:35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, there's no such thing as a Christian who walks into church, slips in, slips out. I mean, we love God, and because we love God, we love people. We're concerned for people. 
We learn to see people as God sees them. Or John 15, 8, by, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Part of being a Christian, being a disciple, folks, is that it, it doesn't say that you bear some fruit. It says you actually bear much fruit. Much fruit. Which means it doesn't take a magnifying glass, right? So the picture is this. John 15 says it. That as you abide in the vine, as you abide in Christ, as you're growing in Christ, the, the, the natural fruit from that will be things that honor God. That will be the spiritual fruit. It would, will happen because of your abiding in Christ, your love for Christ. That's just a part of what happens in the believer's life. Well, so you've got to be a disciple. And if you're truly a disciple, then that means you're living in such a way that other people can follow your example in all areas. And if they do that, they would also reflect the heart of a disciple. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So, uh, see, a true disciple is a person who's living in such a way that as they begin to make a difference by God's grace in this world, they're living in such a way that the people they minister the gospel to can follow their example. And by following their example, they will be learning to follow Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. I was in youth ministry for about 25 years. And uh, parents would often ask, what, what's the best thing I can do to impact my kids for the gospel? And the answer is simple. Be an obedient Christian. Show them what it looks like to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Show them what it looks like when they see their mom and dad studying the Bible intentionally. Not fitting it in, but making it a priority in their life. Show them what it looks like to love other people. Show them what it looks like to serve in the church. Show them what it looks like to share the gospel with the unsaved. You, you, so often we're looking for magic formulas to accomplish things, but you guys, the, the reality is, is what our kids need to see are their parents as disciples of Christ, wanting their whole life to be consumed with this wonderful relationship that they have with the Lord. So a fair question I have to ask myself, you have to ask yourself. So if somebody else followed your pattern of life, work, home, neighborhood, personal time, personal disciplines, if they followed your life, would you be pleased? The greater question being, would God be pleased? Because that's the seriousness of the Christian life. That's the seriousness of discipleship. So the Great Commission begins with those who are already disciples of Christ. And so now we come to that first charge. Now in this charge, in, in Matthew 28:19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Let me just say that the imperative there is to make disciples. So everything else is about that, okay? The goal is to make disciples. Sometimes even within our missions, we've kind of lost that vision, and we think the objective is simply share the gospel. 
Well, you guys, sharing the gospel is the beginning. But it's not the end. It's, it's the beginning of the process of helping people understand what it means to be a disciple or a follower of, of Christ. And in this verse, we see that God is concerned about the nations. In Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. They cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God is concerned about the nations. You know, the, the reality is, oftentimes, especially in years past, we use these verses just emphasize going to the mission field. Well, you guys, the mission field... Well, actually, it's oftentimes in the church, but it's certainly as you walk out the doors. I mean, there are people all around you that desperately, desperately need to hear the gospel. And I think there are a lot of distractions. Okay? Anybody distracted by politics? Never mind. Anybody distracted by COVID? Okay. I mean, there's lots of things to be distracted by. But you guys, let me just remind you. Jesus has authority over everything. Right? You may look around and say, we're out of control. Well, we've always actually been out of control. The only one in control is God. And, and he, this is not a problem. This is not a problem. I think the scary thing is when Christians can get more dramatic talking politics or COVID and forget that all of these things are an opportunity for the gospel. That's where our passion needs to be. So, as God's children, it's our privilege wherever we go to strive to make disciples. So, I want to talk about that in some most practical ways. Keep in mind in Acts 1.8, it says, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, if you're in Christ, do you have the Holy Spirit? Okay, that's, I'll always tell you if it's a trick question, by the way. Okay? If you're a believer, do you have the Holy Spirit? That was better. (laughs) You do. If you're in Christ, you have this Holy Spirit, which means what? You have the power of God dwelling in you. Why? So that you can be His witnesses. So I can be His witness. You know, people say, well, that's just not my strength. Oh, that's the whole point. The Holy Spirit is in you to empower you to share the gospel. Well, yeah, that's just my... You, if, if that's not your thing, you're not a disciple. Because a disciple follows his master. And then the master says, I'm going to give you my spirit so that you can be my witness. So there's no excuse. And you guys, the idea is not that this is an oppressive responsibility. It's, it's the privilege blessing of the child of God to take the hope to a lost world what it so desperately needs in 2 Corinthians 5 18 to 20 now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against him and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation therefore listen we are Ambassadors, Ambassador Bible Fellowship. 
We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let me tell you. Okay, here's a question. How many of you, if you're in Christ, believe that God has divine appointments for you every day? You can raise your hand or something. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that? Because I think it's dangerously easy to wake up on Monday morning and I have my business schedule and I've got my meetings and I go through the day and I get done with the day, have dinner, go to bed, get up the next day, go back to bed. But you guys, if you truly believe that, and I absolutely believe it, when you wake up in the morning, you look at your schedule and you pray and say, God, I have these appointments and I'm going to this store and I have this, but, but those are just things that I'm planning. I understand that you have divine appointments for me today. God, help me to be alert and aware of the opportunities that you're going to bring. You see, evangelism doesn't need to be a Friday night event. I mean, I'm fine if you do that. But but folks, the truth is, you and I have opportunities almost every day to engage with people and minister to people, sometimes sharing the gospel, sometimes uh, encouraging uh, somebody you, you come to understand as a Christian. But, and, and you guys, I think we can be so self-consumed that, that we think circumstances in our life are kind of random. So let me illustrate. So you're driving down the road and somebody runs into the back of you. What's your imme- Don't tell me. What's your immediate response? I mean, you guys, it's not uncommon for us just to be frustrated because it's going to mess up our day. And now, what? Are, you know, and I've got to get insurance. And, but you guys, you know what? Truth is, you're going to meet somebody you didn't plan on meeting. Like it or not. And you know what? Maybe in God's divine plan, what we call an accident is a divine appointment. An opportunity for the gospel. I just want you to know, oftentimes difficult circumstances bring us uh, into a position where we intersect with lives of people that we wouldn't normally meet. Okay? When you get that diagnosis, that's a hard diagnosis. My first wife, I'm remarried. My first wife is with Jesus. So I know the world of hospitals. I've spent weeks and weeks and weeks in them. But you know what? As God brings you through those circumstances, you can either get consumed with the the reality that you have to face these difficulties, or you can say, God is intentional. And I often will tell people, even in the hospital, even if they're terminal, if they're in Christ, let me just remind you, that that nurse that walks into your your room or that doctor or that custodian or that technician may be in much worse condition than you are. Because they may not know Christ. You guys, we're going to all go through difficult things in life. I remember a guy one time, he said to me, he says, he's so overwhelmed, he needed a job. He says, Rock, I've probably been to 20 interviews. And see, all he could see is every time a rejection, a rejection, a rejection. And I said, okay, all right. Now, God has already brought you into connection with 20 different people in this process. Have you ever considered 
that while they have a job, they may be in much worse condition than you. Maybe look at it as an opportunity for ministry. So that when you go through it, rather than looking back and saying, what a waste, how awful, to look back and say, you know, I got to share the gospel with a couple of those guys. One of them I actually took to lunch out afterwards just because I wanted to talk to them how the Lord could meet. See, it's a whole different perspective, folks. I just want you to know that there are divine appointments all the time. Pay attention. As disciples of Christ, it's our goal to see people like God sees them, to recognize opportunities. I think that's why we don't have time for this topic. That's why I think biblical meditation is so important, because biblical meditation keeps us thinking about spiritual things so that we are alert and ready when God brings those opportunities. So listen, Christian, brother and sister, we need, one, recognize being a disciple is, is part of being a Christian. That's what it means. And being a follower then of Christ means that we're recognizing opportunities. And then as you have those opportunities to share the gospel, people get saved. And then they come into the church. And then what's the church and the body of Christ doing? We're teaching them all that God has commanded, right? So that they can obey that. So that's this whole process. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13, it says, The Lord gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of, of Christ. So, so as, as the disciples go out and minister the gospel, people get saved, come in. The church continues to teach and to teach all that God has commanded. That's why I think it's important to have at least a substantial amount of our teaching is, is systematic verse-by-verse instruction. Why? Because we want to teach the whole counsel of God, just on my favorite topics. And so we keep teaching that, and in doing that, we begin to equip the saints. So, so as you go out and you impact the world, and you, all of a sudden people start coming in, and then we're teaching them all that God has commanded. And then we're helping them to know how they can serve in the church. And part of that service, some people are going, I mean, I was here, uh, Jacob picked me up early this morning, but I'm an early guy, so it's good. Because he gets here early. I don't know if you know how early he gets here. In fact, I don't know how you, if you know how early a bunch of people get here. Men and women. I mean, cleaning the bathrooms and setting up tables. I mean, there are people here serving. I'm, I mean, and walking those signs out and around. And those it, people are serving. And so as people are growing in the Lord, some are serving. But then some are equipped to be teachers. And then some are trained to be deacons. And some elders. And some pastors, and you know, ironically, because this is the passion of my life, so I have to say this. You cannot imagine how few churches actually train pastors in the context of the church. I'm not saying you can't use institutions for some part of that, but I'm, I promise you, they cannot train a man like the church is supposed to train him. That's discipleship. It's at all levels. I mean, I mean it's, it's almost scary out there. The guys get an education, but they have no practical experience of being in the church, shepherded, and discipled by a pastor. And so when discipleship takes place, a healthy church is discipling in all arenas. 
because it's always better for the church when God raises somebody up to train them. You need a staff person. It's probably not best to go out and hope you find one that's going to work. Train them. Disciple them. Put them to work. And let God... See, that's the picture of biblical disciples. That's the picture of fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, let me just say, okay, I'm going to do a quick walk through the book of Acts. Now, that'll get you excited. I actually have six minutes. Well, I'm not, it's not going to, we're talking really overview. But here's, this is what I want to say to you. So, you guys are starting to read through the book of Acts. Perfect. I just want, as you read through, I want you to notice some things. And I'm just going to draw your attention to a few. I, what I want you to notice is when the church is fulfilling the Great Commission, then people are saved. Christians are taught. They serve. They're discipled. Leaders are raised up. Elders are raised up. Deacons are raised up. Pastors, it all happens, I would say, organically, if I could use that in the most uh, respectful sense of within the church. In other words, when the church is simply fulfilling the Great Commission, all of those things happen within the context of the church. So you ready? Here we go. Evangelism. Did evangelism happen in the book of Acts? Oh, man. In fact, the the church came to understand that, whoa, salvation is for Jew and Gentile, man and woman, young and old. So the apostles began proclaiming the message of a risen Savior. And what happened? Thousands of people believed. Because I'm telling you, as you as you begin living out discipleship, when you come to the church, the, the American church is so focused on the physical. I mean, literally, when you hear prayer meetings, I'm not saying here, but I'm saying I, like 90 percent are about, you know, so and so sick. And so it's like, OK, I, I get we cast all our care upon him because he cares for us. So I think that's appropriate. But folks, read the prayers of the scriptures. The primary focus is always spiritual. I'm not saying you can pray for somebody sick, but pray for their testimony or pray that they come to Christ. Because we're all going to die. And spiritual things are vastly more important. And, and so as, as we're out sharing the gospel, people are getting saved. I'm telling you, your prayer meetings change, right? In the sense that we're thinking about this person or God, help me to be alert for this. And, and I got to share with it, it, it's spiritual priorities are reflected because we're excited about the fact that God is saving the lost. And by his grace, we're tools in his hands. It's an amazing thing. You know, it's funny because the disciples were accused of being uh, uneducated and untrained men. Well, you guys, that's not true at all, right? What better training than training under the Lord Jesus Christ? They were both educated and trained, but they were not educated and trained according to the normal rabbinic traditions. The church has the authority and responsibility to train men for ministry. It doesn't have to reflect how the world does it. Suffering. Disciples learned well what Jesus meant when he said, Remember the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. John fifteen twenty. And boy, as you walk through the book of Acts, you guys, they're suffering. You know, it's, it, I think all of us would be embarrassed by this truth that, that suffering to us is that somebody doesn't like us or says harsh things or, or maybe it costs us maybe a job or something. But even that's kind of rare. 
You guys in Afghanistan today, most believers there know if they've not already died, they likely will. That they're going to see Christ. We get concerned about what somebody might think. I mean, I'm ashamed of that in my own life, that my mind would go there. Suffering, folks, is part of the Christian life. You read 1 Peter 2. In the same way God called you to be his child, in 1 Peter 2 it says he's also called you to suffer for his name. In the same way. Leadership development. You guys, as you read through the book of Acts, you begin to see names of people coming up. You know, you see Barnabas. And, and remember in, in Acts 6, you see uh, Stephen, a man full of faith, and Philip, and Nicanor, and, and, and Procurus, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas. And these guys serve what we would might call as deacons. They're servants ministering to the widows. But you guys, Stephen stood up and preached a message, an incredible message. And it was glorious. And what happened? They killed him. Philip becomes a preacher and an evangelist and goes out to other parts of the world and proclaims the gospel and many are saved. And you guys, as you read on, you have Saul becoming the Apostle Paul and you have lists of people over and over again. It says Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in every church. Where did these guys come from? They were discipled in the ministry, in the context of the church and churches are planted. That's just how it happens You seldom see these men traveling alone. Why? Because they're always training men. Always training. And you guys, that's the beauty of the church when the church functions as it should. You're a disciple of Christ so people can follow your example. And you bring them along. They're part of your life. They're part of your family. They're in your home. It's a church that this is a training church. Praise God. And I love your pastors. I pray for this church often because they're serious about those things. But you guys, what else could be more exciting than to truly be, if I could say, a great commission church? That is where the Christians understand their role. And and let me just say this quickly, that that doesn't mean you get it perfectly. Okay, I liken it to my grandchildren. I have 10 grandchildren. Pictures later. But okay. And when my grandchild, they draw me a picture and bring it to me. You guys, do I look at that picture and say, eh, what's that? I don't say that. Or I don't look at it and say, uh, so do you know what the lines are for? I don't say that. So they say, well, that's a picture. They call me Dado. That's a picture of you, Dado. It's like a green face. I don't say that either. Because it's very precious to me. And I love it. And I put it up in my office or on the refrigerator, right? But you guys, we're kind of like the grandchildren. Right? We don't get it perfect in this life. We don't draw all inside the lines. We don't get all the colors right. But you guys, the issue is that as God's disciples, Jesus being our Lord, we want to honor Him. We want to grow in our love for Him. We want to serve Him. We want to tell people about Christ, our Lord. We don't get it perfect. But God is pleased with His children who desire to honor Him and obey Him. And that's really 
what our objective is. In John 15:8 says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. He's given us in His kindness all the resources, right? Provided for our salvation, given us His Word, given us His Holy Spirit. Sovereignly directs every encounter that we have. And now as Christians, it's our joy, not burden, joy to represent Him well. Knowing that there's times that we don't get it right. But he's, He didn't save us because we're so good. You know that. He saved us because we're such a mess. And He says He'll continue to work in our hearts until the day of Christ Jesus when we're in His presence. Don't we long for that day? Finish well, folks. Finish well. Let's